Thank you, Carla. Thank you, team. And good morning, church. Welcome. So glad to be with you guys this morning. So, when I was a young boy, when I was a kid, my mom worked around the central area. And so quite often, she would have me meet her during lunchtime or after work or something like that. The only problem is I didn't like meeting her near her work. And the reason was because it was quite scary. See, she would always ask me to meet her behind the area in St. John's Cathedral. You know, and it was scary for a couple of reasons. Partly because, you know, um, that cathedral as a young kid, sometimes it's quite dark there, right? So it looks kind of scary. There's also a grave site there, which made it a bit scary. But the one thing that I was most scared of was that quite often, hanging out in that area, there would be two old ladies. They looked like twin sisters, and they would hang out there a lot of the time. Now, I wasn't scared of them because they were old, but what I found quite scary at that point was that they looked quite disheveled, almost homeless. But the really, really scary thing was every time I would walk past them, they would just look at me, glare at me, not in a friendly way, in this really sort of scary eyes, they would look at me, and as I would walk past or as I would be waiting for my mum, they would just stare at me, and they, they were muttering things under their breath. You couldn't quite make out what they were saying. And so, you know, I talked to my friends about some of this. Like, have you ever seen those two ladies? And that's when the rumors really started flying, right? They were like, oh, yeah, you know, those two ladies, they are homeless witches. They are possessed by the devil. And they used to be rich, but someone put a curse on them. And so now they're poor and homeless. And because they're witches, they try to abduct little children and do the same thing to them. Now, of course, as a young, naive, gullible kid, I believed every word these people said to me. And the thing that furthered the intrigue was that they were white ladies, they were foreigners, they were Westerners, which was, and they looked disheveled and homeless, which was not a usual sight in Hong Kong. And so in my wild, childish little imagination, I had it in my head that these ladies really were witches. And if I hung around them too long, if I got too close to them or something like that, they would turn me into lizards and I would never see my mom again or something like that. They would cast a spell on me. But the truth is, actually, I don't really know what the situation for these two ladies was. They were obviously two people, now I think back about it, that were distressed and in need of help and support. And I also think it's fair to say that, you know, this wasn't the life these ladies had planned to live. I'm sure at one point they had thriving lives, lives that were full and full of fun and family and all that good stuff. But something must have happened along the way which meant that at this moment, they weren't able to appreciate life as much as they used to. We're continuing our series on post-traumatic growth today, and we're talking about um, appreciation of life. And the passage that we're looking about today, it's a bit like what I experienced as a kid, only probably like a thousand times more intense, okay? And as we unpack this passage, we're going to be reading about a man who was literally possessed by demons, and as a result, he too didn't have very much to look forward to or appreciate about life. But as we're about to discover, church, a true encounter with Jesus turns that around. And so if you're following on with your Bibles or your apps or something, if you want to put it on the screen, you can close down Facebook for a second, pull up the Bible app, okay? Mark chapter 5 is where we're at, okay? And that's where we're going to be reading from today. So read along with me, all right? Here we go, Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. 
This man lived in the tombs and he, no one could bind him, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, before we get into this passage, let me give you a little bit of some background, okay? In chapter 5 of the book of Mark, it tells us that the disciples had just crossed the lake to reach this destination. But along the way on the lake, they encountered a really fierce storm. A storm so fierce that Jesus and his disciples, the disciples especially, were all scared. Now, the Sea of Galilee is quite famous for its sudden storms, very stormy conditions. And Jesus and his disciples find themselves in the middle of one of these storms. A storm so big that, like I said, seasoned fishermen even find themselves scared in it, feared for their safety. And you also have to understand one thing, that the sea for the Jewish people carried with it this sense of evil and darkness. This is where scary things came from. This was the place where monsters came from. The sea was a dark and scary, evil place. Now, I'm not sure if many of you have been in a stormy boat. Um, I have been on the Star Ferry on a T3, okay? And I, it's not quite the same, okay, but that's the closest I've been, right? But even that was scary enough, okay? People flying about in the seats, you know, pumpkin spice lattes being spilled all over the place, you know, people screaming and shouting. This was probably like a million times worse than that. But in the middle of this storm, it tells us that Jesus was chilled. He's relaxed. He's asleep even. And his disciples wake him up screaming, what? We're about to die, Jesus. Don't you care? We're about to die? And they think they're about to be swallowed up and drowned by this big evil sea. Now Jesus wakes up and with a short phrase, he just says, quiet, be still. And everything is calmed. I always find that amazing as a kid. You know, have you ever as a kid stepped out in a storm and said, quiet, be still, and nothing ever happens, right? Those words never work, especially if you're having an argument with your spouse. Never say calm down, okay, because it just doesn't work. Never, ever, ever works. But it does for Jesus. He rebukes the sea, and it calms down. And afterwards, he turns and he sort of rebukes his disciples at the same time. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it says that his disciples reacted in fear. They were terrified. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but they turn and say to each other, who is this guy, right? What power does he have? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Who does that? You know, church, I don't think we'd be far off wrong if we likened our past 20 months or so to be being on a boat with Jesus, tossed around in the sea. Sure, Jesus has been with us, right? But at times, hasn't it feel like that he's been asleep? How many times have we cried out individually and as a community, calling out to him, saying those exact words, Jesus, don't you care what happens to this city? Don't you see this, the things that this church, your people are going through? And we've been desperate for Jesus just to come and say a word and to calm everything and to make these big, scary things disappear. And in the waiting for things to get better, it often feels like we lose a little bit of how to appreciate life at this moment, doesn't it? We were also looking forward to saying goodbye to 2020 and welcoming 2021 to bring some peace and stability into, the, into our lives. But it seems as though we've just been thrust into another storm. 
right? It seems like um, you know, COVID is still all over the place and death rates are still rising in a lot of countries, even as vaccines are being rolled out. Um, in the US recently, we saw some very disturbing political scenes unraveling. In our own city, political tensions remain high. Frustration over confusing COVID lockdowns and restrictions and all this kind of stuff. We'd barely caught our breath out of 2020, and now 2021, we're facing storm after storm after storm. And the same thing is happening to the disciples. They get to the other side of the lake, and just like the waves that rush towards the boat, a demon-possessed man comes rushing towards Jesus and the disciples. And this man has been tossed and turned by the evil spirits he's been tormented with for some time now. But Jesus, after calming the sea, is about to calm the storm in this man's life too. And now, before we go any further, I just want to acknowledge something here, okay? And this is it, church. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. All right, yes, I know we live in a messed up and broken world, and a lot of the things that come our way is because of our own stupidity and foolishness and our own sin, okay? There's consequences, and we have to take responsibility for those things. But at the same time, there's also a very real enemy, Satan and his minions, these demons that are actively trying to disrupt you and harm you in any number of ways. We're not going to go into too much detail about this, only to say two things, right? Um, demons can either affect us by oppression or possession. Now, as Christians, if you're a Christian listening to this, if you receive the Holy Spirit into your life, we don't need to worry about possession. I don't believe that um, Satan and his demons can possess a Christian. But he can certainly use things to try and harm you and to oppress you. However, what Mark describes clearly here is someone who's been possessed by demons. We know this because he goes into some pretty graphic details about the state of this man, okay? It tells us that he lived in the tombs, right? He had some sort of supernatural strength and not even the chains could hold him down. And I'm not talking about the good charismatic way that we sing about in church sometimes, okay? These were literal chains that people tried to put on him and he broke them off. He would cry out at night like a wild animal. His body was covered in wounds and scars because he had used stones to cut and hurt himself, it's almost like Mark is not describing a man here, but more like some kind of monster or an animal. Even the word Mark uses to describe him, the, the way people would treat him, um, it says he is subdued, but a more um, direct translation of that word would be to tame. Right? You don't tame human beings, you tame wild animals. And the community had outcast him. Right? The community that he had once been a part of had thrown him out there into the night. They cast him up, they tried to chain him up, tie him down, abandoning him to the outskirts of town. Now, as I was reading this passage in Mark 5, I often wondered to myself, I wonder if that's what two, those two old ladies felt like sometimes. Sure, they looked a bit scary. Maybe they even acted a bit scary. And it was clear that, you know, there's not just me. Other people were afraid to approach them too. But did the community around them ever really truly try to reach out to them or help them? Or did they just give up on them, abandoning them to the outskirts of society? Or maybe perhaps you listening right now are relating on a personal level. As Pastor Andrew said at the beginning of these series, like this man, perhaps you found yourself outcast and abandoned, cut by stones. You have these wounds and scars that you're not too sure what to do about. And in talking about 
post-traumatic growth and this appreciation for life. We have to realize that this isn't something we can do our own. This is a call we've been, um, we've been saying time and time again. We can't do this by ourselves. But rather, we need each other to help us move forward from mourning to healing and into a space of thriving again. You ask anyone who's walked through some stuff in their lives, and they will tell you that they probably didn't do it alone. I can almost guarantee you that there was people surrounding them, journeying with them through that place. Vine Church, are we the kind of community that says to these kind of people, stay with us? We love you. We welcome you. We're not scared of you. We want to walk through the pain with you. Or are we going to be the kind of community that says, you know what, out of sight, out of mind, we can't reach those people anyway. They can go out there and scream and do whatever they want to do and we'll just carry on our lives as normal. The community had given up on this man. But Jesus wasn't about to do that. We carry on reading verse six, it says this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. This evil man, this man possessed by the evil spirits rushes towards Jesus and he knows exactly who Jesus is. He knows his name, he knows his identity, and he knows his power. But even though he knows who Jesus is, he really doesn't want anything to do with him. Now, this is all happening in the context of a demon-possessed man, of course. But if we look at our own lives, do we ever react in the same way, perhaps? A lot of us will know, will say we know at least, who Jesus is. A lot of us, we say, we acknowledge his power. We know his name. But many times, for whatever reasons, we might truly fail to worship him. And when I say worship here, I don't just mean singing along with the beautiful worship team. I don't even mean, you know, just reading a Bible or even spending time in prayer. True worship is letting God invade every single part of your life. Every single part of your life. And I know that in my own life, it's often hard to take control of that. I want autonomy. I want to make my own decisions. I, want, I don't want God's opinion in how to use my finances, my time, my energies. Sometimes to me, Obedience feels more like resentment. And perhaps one of the reasons we lose the appreciation of life when it gets stormy is because we tend to lose the appreciation of the giver of life. We stop Jesus from working in us. We stop being thankful. We put up all these barriers to the Lord and then we suddenly, wonder, we suddenly start to think to ourselves, where's all the hope gone? Where's all the joy gone? This demon-possessed man clearly has many things, many barriers that are stopping him from truly connecting with Jesus. And Jesus sees his pain and he reaches out to him. And of course, this is very typical, right, of the way Jesus lived his life. Where others would point and stare and stay away, Jesus invites in. Jesus reaches out to these outcasts, right, the lepers, the sinners, prostitutes, tax selectors, demon-possessed people. Jesus reaches out to them, and each time Jesus reaches out to these people in love and healing, he does so without condition. This is an important thing for us to remember. Notice that Jesus doesn't, first of all, question this man before casting out these demons. He doesn't, you know, give him a lecture, you know, you naughty boy, you know you shouldn't have done that. This is why you ended up like this in the first place. He doesn't force him to repent from his sins before he heals. He simply heals. He sees a distorted image of God 
a human being made in God's image has been completely distorted right now and he reaches out in love. This is another important thing for those of us who might be walking alongside people in post-traumatic growth. Often it's tempting, isn't it, to play the role of judge before we move on to helping. We might even do this subconsciously. We blame the victim instead of addressing the source of the pain. But a person who truly appreciates the beauty of life that Jesus wants us to have will also help others do the same. And when we blame the victim, it does the opposite of this. What Jesus realizes is that this was a man being tormented by these demons. It didn't matter to Jesus how he got into this state. All he sees is someone who needs help and he reaches out. And our challenge is this church. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to reach into the places where evil is in the name of Jesus and rescue these people out of the darkness by his power, by his grace? It tells us very specifically as we read on. The source for this man's pain was the fact, like we said, he's been possessed by many demons. In fact, this demon has a name. It says legion. Mark tells us this, okay? Uh, Verse nine. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Here's the interesting thing I found about this. You know, often when we go through trauma, right? When we go through trauma, it's not always as simple as just one thing. Legion means many things. And for example, if we walk alongside uh, people with depression, depression isn't just simple as feeling low, right? It carries with it things like anxiety, lack of sleep, lack of appetite, risky behavior, mood swings, those kind of things. Or if you look at someone walking through grief, grief is this journey where there's ups and downs, there's twists and turns we don't see. It's a long, thorny and winding road. And so as we look at our own trauma and the trauma of those around us, we must be careful sometimes not to oversimplify things. We must be patient with ourselves and the people that we're walking alongside. But there's also a bigger picture here. I think um, the scripture wants us to capture as well. When the name Legion was mentioned, it would have immediately struck a chord with the original readers of the book of Mark. And what we have to remember is at this time, Roman soldiers overran the territory. A legion was used to describe 6,000 soldiers. And these soldiers would go around inflicting pain on people, overtaking everything they wanted, everything they saw. And so in some way, what was happening to this man is a reflection of what was happening on the wider scale in the society around them. And just as this man was longing to be freed from this legion of demons, okay, society at that point was longing to be freed from the clutches of Rome. And Rome was seen by the Jews at this time as this evil. Some people even thought that Rome was a manifestation of Satan himself. And Jesus, in entering the scene though, His plan was even greater than just freeing this man. His plan was greater than even just freeing uh, the nation of Israel from the clutches of Rome. His plan was to um, free the entire world from darkness. Jesus realizes that there's a deep spiritual battle here that needs to be won. Not just Rome, but the entire world. Romans 8.22 tells us this, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together. And the ultimate way Jesus is going to defeat evil once and for all is, of course, on the cross. You see, as we look at this story right here in this moment, we look at Jesus and this demon-possessed man. 
there doesn't seem like there's very much in common with the two of them, right? Jesus has community, he's dressed, he's healthy. This man is naked, alone, cut up and wounded. But actually, it's not long after meeting this man that Jesus would too end up abandoned by his disciples, screaming in pain, put to death, left on a hill, on a cross, amongst the tombs, half naked, his body cut up and tortured by the whips of the, of the Roman soldiers and the, and the sins of the world and the evils of the world upon his shoulders. And it's three days later where the resurrection comes that Satan and evil and the demonic powers of this world are defeated once and for all. So what's happening in this encounter with this demon-possessed man, it's simply a smaller scale demonstration of what Jesus has ultimately come to do. And this is the truth, church. Jesus is and will be victorious over all sin and evil in this world. And this legion of demons inside this man already knows what's up. This is how the story ends. A large herd of pigs were feeding on a hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the in-power spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in numbers, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. It's a pretty dramatic scene. Imagine the commotions. But what this is really proclaiming is this. One day... The fate of all evil, Satan and his demons will ultimately be cast out and destroyed. The fate of evil is always going to be defeat in the name of Jesus. Because this is what Jesus comes to do. This is what Jesus is all about. Defeating evil, overcoming trauma, and restoring people. And it says this. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and the community was afraid. This is what happens when Jesus heals. The change is dramatic. Blind can see, the lame can walk, dead come back to life, rich give to poor, sinners turn their life around, and the demon possessed are set free from their torment. I want us to realize this, church. Healing is possible. If you're waiting for God's healing right now, healing is possible. Overcoming trauma is possible. There will be coming a time where you will not be tormented by whatever it is that you're wrestling with anymore. And surely this is something that we can all celebrate, right? But this community reacts in fear. Why? What were they afraid of? Maybe they were afraid in the same way that the disciples were afraid that we talked about just now, right? This man just suddenly controlled this guy that we've been trying to control all this time. How can that be? Maybe they were scared about the fact that they just lost 2,000 pigs, which would have been a huge financial loss for them. If Jesus stuck around, maybe the financial losses would be even worse. But how about us, church? This is a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we want to see stories like this man become real in our community? Do we really want to see people break free from the traumatic things that have been plaguing their life? Because if we do, we need to prepare ourselves to walk in some of the messy things that come along with that. It's going to cost us something. But we don't need to be afraid of the enemy and his schemes. We need to overcome our fear of welcoming those who are coming in with the wounds and scars and demons broken and in need of help and simply be a place where we can allow the presence of God to be at work in their lives. But here's something more amazing that I want us to see. 
In healing this man, Jesus didn't just cast out his demons, but more importantly, Jesus gave him something new to live for. This is how the story really ends, okay? Pastors always do that. Say, I'm coming to an end, and then they don't come to an end. I'm really coming to an end now. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You see, when this man was demon-possessed, there was nothing he had to appreciate about life. He lived in the tombs. He lived among darkness. There was nothing that he could appreciate. But one of the most crucial steps in our journey of post-traumatic growth is that once we are made well, once we have been healed, our task is not just to keep Jesus to ourselves. Our task, like this man, is to go and tell others. Jesus has something even better for him than staying with him. He says, I've got something better for you. Go and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. The demons are gone. New life is here. And this new life doesn't mean all memory about his past trauma has been erased. Like I said, rather it tells him to go, share the pain that you've been through. And in a very strange way, isn't it church, that one of the gifts we get out of coming out of traumatic experience is an even more deeper appreciation of the life that we've been given. As I say this, I'm thinking about people like Alfred here. If you read the devotional last Sunday, you would have read about Alfred and how despite his ongoing battles to get healthy, continues to appreciate each day. I was just on a Zoom call with him yesterday, Alfred. And church, he's having surgery on Tuesday. So if you would join me in praying for him, that would be amazing. But believe me when I tell you that Alfred is truly a guy who lives appreciating life every single day. He preaches hope to the young adult community that he's part of. Way better than a sermon ever could. Alfred, if you're watching this, we want you to know that we love you and we're praying for you. Of course, I'm thinking about my friend Chelsea here, who in the midst of her pain and life looking totally different now, still continues to be a wonderful mom to Emery, an amazing friend to those around her, and a voice of raw and real honesty about how God is walking with her in life. And Chelsea, if you're watching this, know that we continue to love you and walk alongside you too. And this formerly possessed man, despite all the pain and shame that would have come of, you know, that would have come of being that guy, imagine being that guy for that long. He goes around now to travel and proclaim the freedom Jesus has given to him. I found a really good quote um, as I was scrolling through Instagram. Some good stuff does come from Instagram. And it was from uh, an account by a, a psychologist called Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she said this. She says, Don't be ashamed of your trauma or history. One day, your story will become someone else's survival guide and inspiration. By sharing your story of tragedy and triumph, someone may find the hope and courage to continue waiting. And I would add to that, by sharing what God has done in your life, someone too will be encouraged by the presence of God. Now, I have no idea about the things, most of the things that you guys are wrestling with right now or what you've been through. But what I do know is this. What I do know is the words, the story that we've just read are true. And I hope that in walking past this passage today, you can see that firstly, Yes, 
There is healing in Jesus' name. Every single thing that we wrestle with can and will be brought under the healing power, um, the healing power of Jesus. But after healing, church, there is life. And when Jesus calms the storm in our life, when he frees us from the things that torment us, we are to live life appreciating each and every moment. And what Jesus did for this demon-possessed man, he can do for you, for your family, for society, and for the world. Our task then is simply to be proclaimers and believers of this wonderful news that in the name of Jesus is life and life in the fullest. So church, please join me in prayer right now as I would just, as we just spend a little bit of time praying and listening to God and seeing how he wants to bring you out into a journey of trauma, into appreciating life again. Pray with me, church. Jesus, I thank you that there is nothing under your sovereign control the wind and the waves, the universe, everything we see around us, including our own selves, including the forces of evil, have been brought under your power. And so Lord, I pray for those, those of us who are listening, who are watching right now, who are still feel like themselves are being tossed and turned by the sea, who are still being plagued by sickness and evil. Lord, we pray for a release of that right now in Jesus' name. We pray for a calm in Jesus' name. We pray for demons to cease their work in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that you would bring us out of this darkness into a place of, he- into a place of healing, into a place where we can truly appreciate this wonderful gift of life that you've given to each and every single one of us. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that our lives would be a proclamation of who you are, a demonstration of your love. We would reach out in love and kindness. We would use the pain that we've been through to speak hope and love and joy in your name to those around us. So Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Come rescue us. Come heal us. Come give us life. In your beautiful name.